All right, take your Bibles, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're kind of putting, we're summarizing all seven weeks. We just finished uh, Seven Marks of a Disciple. If you're a guest with us today, we're glad that you're here. We just completed our seven weeks, and we're getting back into Meet Jesus, here, uh, John chapter 13, next week. We'll begin that back up next week. So, But we want to summarize here, Hebrews 11, if you have a bulletin, the notes are on the back that you may fill in, follow along. And why don't we do notes? I've got to be honest with you, as your pastor, I hate preaching from notes. I hate it. It's like a discipline I don't really have very good control over, because uh, typically I preach a sermon and give you the fill in the blanks at the end. Uh, but I want you to follow through. One, it help helps you pay attention. But two, let me encourage you to start buying a journal. If you have a notebook, just a cheap 50-cent notebook, the spiral notebook, keep your notes in because your children will get your notes at some point in the future and actually read. I have a couple of my dad's uh, old notes I find in the Bibles or other places, books he gave me. And uh, just kind of funny to see their handwriting and then um, also read some of their thoughts. And same thing for you. You can actually put your side notes in. And I've told you a thousand times that my wife takes better notes than I preach. And I should preach it to her at home and then let her then preach her notes here at church. But uh, she takes, I said, I didn't preach that. She said, that's what I heard. And I said, well, you heard something better than I preached. So I didn't preach that. So when you take notes, God will speak to you through his word. And just write a side note because you'll use it this week. You'll need it this week today, but you'll also use it this week at the lunch table or somewhere at your home or somewhere around the table with family or friends or with enemies. You can use the word of God. So that's why we do the notes for you. And uh, they're not super deep, but the word of God is clear enough that we can all have understanding. So we're going to look at... Spiritual reputation, spiritual legacy. So if I had to define what your spiritual reputation is right now with the people that know you best, how would you grade yourself on a 10-point scale? What you're making? A, B, C's, D's, E's? There's no E's. F's. What would you be making? The people that know me best, my spouse, my mom, dad, whomever it might be, they know me as well, my spiritual reputation is grade yourself. Don't, don't shout it out loud. You do it personally. How about your spiritual legacy? Some of us, I'm getting to the... I'm on the backside of life, so I'm, I'm uh, still enjoying life, but I'm trying to think about, did I leave enough breadcrumbs for my children to have a spiritual legacy? Am I leaving a spiritual legacy when I die? Because we're going to read about some people in Scripture, specifically Abraham and Sarah, that they left a spiritual legacy that we all know their story. Mike just read from James. Uh, James told the story. You go back and read the uh, other Scriptures where Paul talks about Abraham. There was a focus that these people were set apart by God. Now, does that sound like they were super special? Yes or no? If they were set apart by God, were they super special? Well, yes and no. Because the Bible talks about, as Christians today, if you give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, you've been sanctified or you've been set apart by God. Just like Abraham was set apart, just like Sarah was set apart, you have been set apart today for God's glory. He has a mission for you to do. So if we were to read your story when you pass away and how many pine boxes or oak boxes have we looked at and said, this person was, and then we say, we fill in the blank, right? Or somebody might, we've done funerals where I've been down in the country and the person got stabbed to death because they were in a bad drug deal. And when I waited for, the, uh, for the, uh, all the family to gather, the funeral director took me and said, hey, Pastor, let me show you something. You don't know me and I don't know you, but let me show you something. My grandpa was the funeral director, and then my dad was the funeral director. Now I'm the funeral director. And he went and took me to a whole series of graves, that whole family. It was kind of a community. If you're from the South Carolina, you understand the community graveyards. And uh, it's just a community graveyard on the side of the road. And he said, look, let me start your way back. And he went through a generations of 
people in the family that, through alcohol, drugs, or whatever it might be, mafia, gambling. He went down and said, this one was killed this way, this one was killed this way, this one was killed this way. And the one that you're doing the funeral for him today, he died in a, he was either stabbed or overdosed. I can't remember what it was. He said, what are you possibly going to say at his funeral? And I'm going to say, the family can say anything they want to say about him. I'm just going to preach Jesus. So all I'm going to do is tell those who are living how to get to heaven when they die. Because only the blood of Jesus Christ can break the generational sins that happen over and over again. If you don't think they're real, you watch and see with your family. And you talk about firstborns. My oldest son, who's now 30, I think he is, when he was a kid, he ate only what his mother ate. I was in the Navy. I was always out to sea. She didn't like corn. He didn't like corn. She don't like bananas. He doesn't like bananas. You go down the whole list, you become like the people that you hang around with. Did you know that? Especially those who train you ahead of you. So that's why fathers and mothers have such a huge responsibility. Well, here we're going to see as Christians, and we're going to call them righteous ones and unrighteous. So the righteous leave a spiritual reputation and a spiritual legacy. So what do you think about Abraham? What do you know about him? Good, bad, or indifferent? The answer is yes, right? We say good, but we read today, this is good, but did he have any bad? Yeah, he married his half-sister. That's kind of gross, right? But we understand times were different back then, but Sarah was his half-sister. He lied more than one time to different officials because he didn't want to die or get in trouble. And he went to Egypt instead of actually holding out and waiting to listen to what God said to do. So he was not a perfect man by any means. And Sarah was not a perfect woman by any means. They were average, if you go by people. They were just like you and me. They were just people. But God called them to something very special. And they said yes to God's call. And now we read their story as a hero of the faith, if you will. This hall of faith, that's what Hebrews 11 is called. A hall of faith, that's what we call it. That's just kind of a nickname. And here they are as shining stars in the hall of faith, even though we know they were not perfect. We know they were called by God. And even after they were called by God, they sinned against God. They lied. They made all kind of different mistakes as we read. Sarah and Abraham combined. So let's read. We're going to pick up at Hebrews chapter 1. Verses 1, 2, 3, and then we're going to jump old Abel and Enoch and go right over to Abraham in verse 8, okay? And, and we're going to jump Noah as well. So you need to read this if you love to read about the heroes of our faith, the roll call, if you will. All right, Hebrews 1, excuse me, Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's partly cloudy definition. We're going to get into what faith is. For by it, that's faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. Their story is good. Their reputation is good. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible, meaning that God took nothing and made, created everything that we see. That's what it's saying. By faith, we trust that. If you have an issue with Genesis 1-1, you have, a, you have an issue with John 3-16. Your faith will struggle if you don't believe that God created the heavens and the earth. And you'll try to figure out every way that man has tried to figure out to make an excuse for why we exist. You'll make an excuse why in Canada we were having a conversation with some of the science degree majors. And, and I said, you actually believe that pond scum developed, and, and I'm being simplistic, and it turned into some of it decided to be a duck, some of it decided to be a tree, and some of it decided to be you and me. That's what you believe. These are people that's in the lab studying science, so-called. And the answer was, yes. I believe some of it through evolution that we evolved, and that's where we found ourselves to be today. The duck just happened to be get the bad deal 
right? He's still in the pond, right? Still swimming around. The tree is still living beside the pond. You and I was able to leave the pond. How, what a sad commentary is that for life, that you would live that way, starting your science when you're trying to find out what, what actually what works or what doesn't work or what ticks or doesn't tick. That's why the greatest scientists of past times were those that were Christians. They said, wait a minute, God's a God of order, and if he's a God of order, therefore we can start with something that's in order to find out gravity and all the natural laws that we, we speak about. Because we understand God is a God. He didn't just surprise us in the morning, like gravity is going to be half as strong as it was last week, and therefore you're going to be floating up on your roof. When you wake up in the morning, your face is going to be stuck to the ceiling because gravity is not working like it should. You understand, you throw something up, everything that goes up will do what? Must come down if it's under a certain level, right, in, in the stratosphere. Well, let's continue. Look, I want you to see this. We understand that the world was framed by God. He spoke it into being. John 1, if you take a notes, put that in your notes. John chapter 1 tells you that Jesus spoke everything he made, everything that was made. The Bible says that Jesus made that. Jesus was our creator God. That's why I think it's fun and funny when we talk about our inalienable rights are given to us by whom? Our creator, that's what the founding fathers of America said. Who is our creator according to scripture? Jesus Christ. So when Jesus Christ is right there stuck uh, with our founding fathers' words, did they make a mistake? No, they were on purpose saying what they said. And today, someone says, we're not, we were never founded as a Christian nation. You can't get away from it. Either you believe that God created the heavens and the earth, do you or not? You have to believe that, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, six days of creation. On the seventh day, he rested. The Bible says that. Either you believe it or you don't. A lot of people try to mix up the time and say, well, maybe it's a thousand years and maybe it's a million years. And I asked somebody this week, we have, new, we have a lot of kids coming to our academy from public school. And, and public school kids are indoctrinated with evolution, uh, atheism, uh, all the isms that's out there and the confusions that's out there, they're indoctrinated with it. I asked a simple question to one of the young men coming to our high school. Do you believe in cavemen? Do y'all believe in cavemen? Yes or no? Raise your hand. It's all right. I'm going to lead you somewhere. Do you believe in cavemen? Yes or no? Were you taught that cavemen were real? Yes or no? Are there cavemen? Yes. People pay a lot of money out west to live in caves. Therefore, they're cavemen or women, right? So a caveman is someone who lives, who's a man who lives in a cave, right? And what is a man? An adult male, okay? Just so you got that right, right? Caveman, what's a, what's, a, what's a cave woman? Adult female that lives in the cave, right? So they were cavemen, cave women. But who were the first people? I was taught coming through that they all come out, all, out of the soup. Here comes the big bang, poof. Out of the soup came all these monkey-type beings, right? The missing link. Um, all the different ones. They supposedly found a fragment of a bone and built a human, half human, half ape, whatever it was. Were you not, who was taught that? Who was actually taught that and just coming through? This, this, is, this is fact. Not a theory, a fact. Well, I was taught that as well. So if you start there, you go from stupid to improved, where we are today. It makes you feel pretty good, doesn't it? If you feel like you've got a degree or you're pretty smart today, you know, but I'm not like those club-carrying cavemen. Even, even uh, cartoons was always cavemen dragging their wives around right, with a club, right? Started from ignorant, uh, stupid, went to informed. But the Bible says we start at where? With Adam, the most intelligent being ever created. Besides God, he was made in the image of God. He started with perfection. Eve was made with perfection. No sin, no, no limit, uh, liabilities in their brain. They started with absolutely the very best model. And when they sinned against God, we've gotten what? 
dumber, right? So we're, all, we're on the opposite end of it. We like to think we as humans went from dumb to intelligent. Now we're going, we realize, wait a minute, they went from intelligent to they didn't even know where to go but down. Right now we have new technologies. People always ask, did aliens put the pyramids there? If you read any of that garbage, Fox News spends all of its time on aliens. How silly can that possibly be? There, let me go ahead and put it out there for you. You say, well, how do you know? I'll give you proof. It's another sermon another day. There are no such thing as aliens. Quit wasting your time on UFOs. It's the military. We used to do it. Listen, stop messing with time. Jesus died for those who were made in his image. There is no gap theory in Genesis 1, 1 to 1, 2. There's no extra special beings. As a matter of fact, I asked this student this week, when, when were dinosaurs created? Because we're finding fossils. And some people say, well, that's just man-made fossils. They're not. You can go dig them up. You can still dig them up. So if they were there, when were they here? If they were water creatures, what day were they created on? I need the students in here, right? Day five. If they're land animals, what day were they created on? Day six, what day was humans created on? Day six, Adam was in the garden with T-Rex. Everything that ate, ate the fruit of the tree, the nuts, the grass of the field, everything was a vegetarian. You say, well, I have a problem with that. What about those lions that eat meat? Does your cat ever eat grass? Yeah, when they regurgitate, they'll go eat grass. Everything ate meat. How does a cow get so big just off of field grass? God had a plan for all things, and we fouled it up. We sinned against God. Well, here comes the generation of people who God calls people. He called people, constantly calling people. He even called Cain, who killed his brother, to repentance. Cain, why are you so angry? Sin is crouching at your door. God calls everyone to holiness. He's always calling us back to restoration. Every time we sin, what do we do? What do your children do? If they break something, do something wrong you said not to do, what do they do? They typically cower and go hide in the corner somewhere. Go to the room. They get under their bed. You ever do that? You ever run saying, oh, today's the day I'm going to die. Anybody ever feel that feeling? Like, oh, man, when dad finds out, I'm going, a mom finds out, I'm going to die when they find out. You thought it was the end of your life. That's what sin does to us before God. Adam and Eve made fig leaves. And then we go back and look at all these people of faith. They had tremendous succession, uh, uh, success, and then they had tremendous failures. They sinned. They were sinners Called to righteousness. Guess what we are today? Sinners who have been called to righteousness. But the good thing for us today, the Bible says we've been sealed until the day of redemption. We've been hard-pressed in that we cannot lose our salvation. Paul said in Romans 8, 35-39, What can take you from the hand of God? Height nor death. He went down his whole list of things. Nothing can take you. I'm persuaded, he said, nothing can take you from the hand of God. Do you trust Paul, the Apostle Paul? Do you trust God's word? If you do, you think, walk around with confidence, nothing can take me from the hand of God. I feel confident today that I'm saved and I cannot be lost. The end. It's not cockiness. It's confidence that God is who he says he is. So let's continue reading. Watch this. Go to verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed. That's a key word. Mark that in your Bible. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Underline promise or mark it if you, if you take notes. For he waited for the city which has, no found, has foundations, whose builder and maker is whom? Who's the architect and builder? God. 
And then it switches from Abraham to Sarah, his wife. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had, what's the word in your Bible? Promised. This is the, the promises of God. This is where our faith comes from. God gives us opportunity to have the faith. He gives us our measure of faith, the Bible tells us. And then he gives us the ability to develop our faith by trusting him in his promises and his words. Verse 12, therefore for one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. Do we still teach our kids today? It's very often we do it here. Father Abraham, the song, Father Abraham had many sons. You ever sing that? Who's ever sing the song? Let's just sing it for fun this morning, all right? Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise. All right, y'all, let's praise the Lord. Put your hands on ladies. Let's just praise the Lord. And then we'd go right arm, left arm. We'd sing it over and over. Why would we sing such a crazy, silly song to children and with children? Because we wanted to teach them this doctrine of truth, this teaching that Abraham is our father. He's the father of the multitudes. Because when you say, well, I'm not Jewish. The Bible says that we've been adopted by the blood of Jesus Christ, and therefore we are grafted into the family of Abraham. Isn't that good news? We've been adopted by God. And so we can claim all the way back that Abraham is our father. The ironic thing is that the Jews say Abraham is their father. Is he? Yes. The Muslims say Abraham is their father. Is he? Yes. You go back and read the scripture. When he sinned against God, you find out there's things that happen because every sin choice has consequences. Every righteous choice has consequences. We will have a payday someday. If you do the right thing, you're going to get rewarded by God. You do his right thing, the righteousness of God. If you sin against God, payday's coming. There's a payday Someday. All right, let's continue. Verse 13. These all died in faith. They're gone. Would you agree? They're dead. If I speak of you one day, if I'm still here, will I say, this person died in faith? If you're a Christian, I hope, if I do your funeral, I hope that I can say, this person died in faith. They had the promise of God through the blood of Jesus Christ because they professed him publicly, right? They said, he is my savior. They were baptized and they were working, doing the giftedness that God had gifted them with. They were involved heavily doing the thing that God said to do. They were in service to mankind to bring many people to Jesus and let their light shine before men that God would receive the glory. I love doing funerals like that. I hate doing funerals for people that I don't know if they're saved or not. Can't stand it because what do you say? And here's what lost people say. Well, heaven got another angel. Humans do not turn into angels, FYI. Angels are angels. Demons are demons. Humans are humans. The end. Amen? You will not get wings when you get to heaven, no matter what it says on Google. Right? You're not going to turn some little fat baby cherub floating on a cloud playing bluegrass. Right? It's just not going to happen. You're going to be a human. You're going to go to heaven. And then when Jesus is very clear, there's a new heaven, a new earth. New Jerusalem is going to come to the new earth. And we will work and work and work for all of eternity. We'll enjoy the company of each other. We'll fellowship in the kingdom. But there is a new heaven and a new earth. There'll be no need to float around in heaven with invisible bodies. You'll eat. You'll enjoy each other. You'll have fellowship with one another. It is the way, if you will, the way the Garden of Eden was intended to be. We're going to have a... 
It's going to be pleasant. It's going to be wonderful. And don't let somebody tell you, whatever makes you happy, that's what you're going to have in heaven. Baloney. Well, baloney makes me happy, but I can't eat it anymore. But that's not, what you, it's not, that's not true. Read what the Bible said heaven's like, right? Whatever God loves is in heaven. And whoever committed themselves to the Lord Jesus Christ is in heaven. These Old Testament saints before Jesus, they were looking for him coming one day. The Messiah was coming. They put their faith and trust in the promise of God. They said, God said he's coming, so therefore he's coming. We put our faith in that trust. Understand? They never saw the day. The Bible tells us, we read it in Catholics this morning, they never saw the day coming. They looked forward to it. They knew heaven was their home, but they were looking for some, the Messiah to come and save them. And here we are today reading it as a history lesson that Jesus the Messiah has come to save all men from their sins if we will confess him as our Lord and Savior if we will put our faith and trust in him as he draws us to himself. Let's continue to read. These all, verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims in this earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. We're looking for a place to go. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out of, they might have returned or they would have had the opportunity to return. We're going to go back. Remember when the children of Israel came out? They were fussing at Moses saying, we remember the onions and the leeks and all those great food we had back in Egypt. What was their job in Egypt? Do you all remember? Slaves. And slaves had none of those things. Their owners had all those things. They could smell them, but they never got to eat them. So you never want to go back, Right? Going back is always the wrong way. Verse 16, but now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore God is not ashamed, isn't this sweet to know about? God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. There's a place for us. John 14, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm going to return so that you can be there where I am. Wherever Jesus is, is where the disciples are, is where I'm going to be. Is that good news? This life is going to be over. I will die, Lord willing, in faith, meaning I hope I never sin against God. If I get into a sin of choice, a willful sin, I pray that God would kill me instantly. That's what I've asked my wife. Listen, I told her, listen, I hope, because men can fail. I'm reading about it constantly. I'm always cautious about what's happening out in society Men and women fell on a regular basis because of their choices. They were tempted and they gave into their temptations. If I was ever to leave my wife or family, I would rather die. I hope that God would kill me that day when I make that decision. But I hope I never make that decision so that I can live as a person living and dying in faith, knowing that Jesus is the keeper of all mankind. But I do know that we all have opportunity to sin against God. Let me give you some answers in your notes. I want you to look there for your spiritual reputation and spiritual legacy. God gives us spiritual lenses by which to be faithful. He gives us the measure of faith to believe in him for all things. So look, when you look, how many of y'all ever looked through when you were kids? We don't do it often. And by the way, I'm telling you, this is the truth as many children as I interview, children don't dream dreams anymore. Anybody want to be a fireman when you were a kid? Couldn't wait to get older? Who wanted to be a fireman? Anybody want to be a policeman? Anybody want to be a chiropractor? Anybody want to be a doctor? Anybody want to be a big truck driver? I'm, th- I'm speaking for guy stuff. I don't know what you women want to be. A princess? I don't know what y'all, what did y'all want to be? Anybody, just tell me. Somebody tell me what you wanted to be when you grow up. What was it? A barber? Farmer? A lawyer? What else? A doctor? 
Police officer? Teacher. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. We have a school. That was a, that was a school joke. Anybody else? A mom. That's a trophy one right there. Men, what'd you want to be? Marine biologist. An Eskimo? Astronaut. I was like, Eskimo, you could have, that was easy. You just packing that one up. Astronaut, a pilot. What else? Try this drill with your children around the dinner table today or your grandchildren or nieces and nephews. They don't dream anymore. You know why? Because they're being fulfilled with that electronic device that you stick in their face. They're fulfilled. They can see anything they want to see. If you want to be in space as an astronaut, just pull up Hubble and look at all the pictures. If you, the, the videos and all the things, DIY, they get everything fulfilled. There's no dreaming anymore, hardly at all. There's no wish list. When they go to college, that's why people change their major in college. They don't know what they want to be. There's no aspirations of looking at it and saying, listen, I want to be this because of this or whatever reason. How many of y'all have looked through a kaleidoscope in the last three years? Anybody looked through a kaleidoscope in the last three years? What are you missing? If you haven't, anybody, who's never looked in a kaleidoscope ever? Anybody? Okay, you're missing an incredible, incredible experience with your mind, Right? I think someone that took LSD created it, but I mean, you look, you look into Colossians, every color of the rainbow just continues to move around in there, and you see, you see things that, that, wow, that is beautiful colors. It's kind of like seeing a bright rainbow. Our neighbor was walking, he said, hey, Pastor, would you like this picture? I took it the other day, and I was cutting grass, and he showed me the picture, and I was like, that's incredible. When did you take that? And he said, right after the rain, rainbow going right over the back of the church. It was just a kind of beautiful, I just heard God scream, I told you, I promised, Right? What did he promise? The rainbow signifies what? I will never destroy the earth again with a flood. Now, is he going to destroy the earth again? Oh, yeah, there's one coming with torches, right, with fire. Read, read, read the Bible. He will destroy this earth again. Purification. Look what, I want you to look at this second note. Faith is the assurance, the title deed, the confirmation of things hoped for, divinely guaranteed, and the evidence of things not seen, the conviction of their reality, Faith comprehends as fact what cannot be experienced by the physical senses. This is believing faith. That come from the Amplified Bible, by the way. It wasn't just all my words there. That was the Amplified Bible that I referenced. But the believing faith is very important because some people say, I have faith in God. Mike read this morning. Some people say, well, I believe in God. And James says, well, good. Even the devils believe in God and shudder because where do the devils or the demons live? They used to be angels in heaven, holy angels. They were cast out because they followed Satan. They know that he's real. They know that he's coming again. And they know they're going to be locked into the bottomless pit one day. They believe God because they know him because he created them. And they've seen him face to face, if you will, as it were, even though they're spirits and he's spirit. They know the power of God. That's why demons believe often more in God than the average Christian. The demons know the scriptures. Why do you think all the cults twist the scriptures? They'll never say the, throw the Bible away. Uh, there's one group that rides around, they'll knock on your door. They're on bicycles, white shirts, and a tie, and they'll tell you that, uh, um, well, the King James Bible is corrupted. And when I was younger, they used to hand you a King James Bible and say, well, this is corrupted. Well, then why did you waste the money on it, right? And then they would turn back and hand you the Book of Mormon, and then they, would, they don't want to teach out of either one of those. They want to give you the pearl of great price. They want to keep you going through another book that their prophet supposedly wrote that's perfected. 
That's called an occult. That's why Satan always does. If he can get you away from the Word of God, he's got you. He can get you to believe anything. If you get away from the Word of God, these crazy songs we're singing today in Christendom, some of the words, uh, they take you, the theology takes you far from God. It's unbiblical theology that we're singing in a lot of our churches today. You've got to be so careful what you're listening to. And for the most part, even people, Christians, aren't living, even listening to Christian music. Right? Secular music's on a radio. If we went and had a test and we went and fired everybody's car up and turned the radio on, what channel would your radio be on? Did you listen to country stinking music when you came in this morning? Did you listen to hip-hop or rap when you came in this morning? All that music's leading you far from God. And it's a sin, if you will, to listen to all that mess and then come in and try to worship God. Your heart won't be right. I'm not saying all secular music's bad because I love every kind of music that's out there. I come to the 80s, right? The best music ever. I was just joking. That's the one I, my mom always said I, I should have been born in the 50s because I loved all the music of the 50s, right? I love big brass and I love all the different types of music. But listen, if we're not careful, we'll do that 40 plus hours a week, listen and be taken away from God and then come in here and get just a few minutes of it and walk away going, well, it's good to be in the house of God. And never do anything with our faith. Your faith must be active. Say that with me. My faith must be active. And it's demonstrated this way. Listen, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 says you have to do the work that God's preordained for you to do. Now listen, all of our schedules, workloads, work types are all different. That's why we don't judge one another. I can't come up to you and compare your life to my life because your life is not the same as my life. And my life's not the same as your life. So therefore, we don't come up and judge people, Right? But together, we encourage each other to seek and serve and share Jesus. Hey, man, whatever you're doing today, make sure you're seeking Jesus. Make sure you're serving Jesus. Make sure you're, listen, you're getting out and you're sharing Jesus today. That's what we've been called to do. Well, let's look at that. Believing faith is how the righteous ones of the past receive their testimony. If you just left Abraham by himself, Abram was a pagan. He served false gods. He made all these sacrifices to false gods. He was a pagan. So he was brought out of that life, changed, God changed his name, and his name was changed to father of many nations. Listen, he was changed, and did he become the father of many nations? Yes, good. All right, that was a delayed response. He did. He is, because we're here today. But we look and see, he had believing faith. Their life story is a true uh, faith in God and God's ter- uh, terrific faithfulness. So my faith is, God gave it to me. I exercise it, and therefore I realize how faithful God is in all things. It doesn't matter what it is. The righteous have believing faith, whereby we trust with enduring confidence in the power, wisdom, and goodness of God. We believe He is our creator. Is that the kind of faith we should have to live today? He's my creator, but He's also my sustainer, and He's my Savior. That's who, that's who God is. If you start your religion with the wrong God, I don't care anything that you have to say after that. If you just say, my God is, and if your God isn't described as the God of the Bible, you're wasting your time and my time telling me about your God. If your God is a God of just pure love, your God's always, because the Bible says God is love, but he would never send anybody to hell. Have you ever heard anybody say that? My God would never send anybody to hell. Well, who created that place that you're talking about called hell? Who created it? The Bible says hell was created for the devil and his angels. So would God create a hell? Would he send angels to hell that disobeyed? And those who reject him, would he send them to hell by their own free will? That they are rejecting Jesus Christ, they reject the way. Because 
If you read Abram's story, you'll find out Abraham and Sarah, there were people who lived in their community where they moved from, and guess what they did? All those people stayed in the pagan nation and rejected God. Abraham was called out of those people. Today, are people being called out? Yes, out of your society and out of your family. You might be living in a, even in a marriage. God calls you to salvation when you give your life to Christ. And then he exercises says, now listen, go and make disciples of Jesus Christ. And it starts right there at your address, at your zip code. All right? Let's continue. So the confidence we have in the power, wisdom, and goodness of God. Abraham and Sarah are examples for all generations of ones who, although not perfect, they exercise believing faith. How can you exercise your believing faith? How do you do it? It's minute by minute, day by day, week by week, month by month. Or you're exercising greater faith this year, this July, than you were in 2021. Can you go back and look and say, man, I really didn't know much about Hebrews or the book of Matthew or the book of James. I didn't know much about the theology of God and whatever the realm is. But this year I can tell you, I can teach a class on it because I've studied it and God has shown me in my heart what the Word of God says. I, I can see it. You should be stronger in your faith in 2022 than 2021. What about 2023? If the Lord tarries, what should you be? Stronger than we are today. It's always growing, 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 being set apart. You look so weird. You look so different from your friends and family. Those who like, listen, come out and drink with us. Come out and have a, a party with us. Come out and do the things of sin that we used to do. Come on, man. Just, just come hang out with us. Now, you can go and visit to share the gospel, but they'll, when you get around people that are different than you, guess what they're going to do? You're going to be the weird one in the crowd. You're going to stand out like a sore thumb. And everybody's going to be like, what's wrong with you? you got religion, man, or woman. You, you've, you've done something different. What's different about you? You're not following the crowd, telling the nasty jokes, using the words they're using. You look and appear so different. Guess what it, happens, what it does to them? It offends them. They don't want to be around you. Next time they have a party, guess who's not getting invited? The holy roller, the whatever Jesus freak, whatever you're called, you're not coming to their party because you ruined their last party because you used to be the life of the party, right? Does this fit anybody's shoes? Yeah, starts up here in the pulpit. You don't get invited back. Even among Christian circles, if you're not careful, I, I talk to pastors a lot. I realize how strange and different I am than a lot of pastors, even in town. There's things that we have confidence in that I will not budge. We have convictions in that, listen, thus said the word of God. And if you can actually give a little bit on that just to appease somebody who's a large contributor in your church, God forbid. God forbid. I will not. I don't care how much money you give or don't give, how much influence you have in town, don't have. Listen, we're all, listen, we're all equal at the foot of the cross. There are no showboats in the kingdom of God. No one gets there because of the brag. No one gets there because of the gifts. We all get to heaven because of the blood of Jesus Christ and accept him as our Lord and Savior. The end. There is no one who controls the church. There is no boss of the church except J-E-S-U-S. -S. He's the head of the church according to what Scripture teaches. That should have been a big amen right there. All right, thanks, Jonah. Me and you, we got it. Amen. Listen, here's what they did. Abraham obeyed God when he was called by God to a place he would receive as an inheritance. He went not knowing where he was going. Go back and look at Genesis 15, 1 through 6. He didn't know where he was going. God said, get up and go. He said, yes, sir. You ever heard that? When somebody says, jump, you say what? How high? Those days are gone, right? Now it's in our, our society. It's like, excuse me, sir, could you explain that to me? And like, like what's the dimension? Metric or English? What are you, what are you doing? The, 
We want to know. We, we, we will talk it to death before we even make any decisions. Well, I want you to understand when Abraham was told to get up and go, God told him to get up and go. He got up and went. Here's the weird thing. Did Abraham ever find his place? Trivia question. Not Jeopardy. Did he? Buzz in. Somebody buzz in. Yes, he's there right now, right? He didn't find it here on earth. But we, don't we oftentimes put our treasure here on earth where, raw, where rust destroys, moth destroys? Doesn't Jesus warn us of that? Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. That's where your focus is. So make sure that you're putting your treasure where? In heaven. You ever heard people say, I've heard preachers say, it, well, you can't take it with you. Can you? Yes, you can. Here's what you do. If I got $100 and that $100 can take out two people out to eat that are lost, I take them out to eat, or three people, whatever you eat, four people, and I take them out to eat, or I invest in them in some way, and they come to Christ, can I take them with me? Yes. That's our job is to go out and find those people, to go fish in the crowd to find out, hey, I'm going to take you with me. The Bible says Jesus' disciples were fishers of men. That's what we're still doing today. So you can take them with you, but you've got to get out there and go fish. Problem is, we're at the pond waiting for the fish to be served at the table. That's what we do. We, we listen, let somebody else fish, let somebody else do it. That's the dirty job. I want to do the nicer job. The God calls us to the hard work of exercising our faith. Let's continue. By faith, Sarah, watch what she did. She received the ability to conceive a child even when she was long past the normal age for it. She believed God, who had given her the promise to be reliable and true to his word. Now, at first, what did she do? She laughed at him. She laughed when she overheard the angels say that she's going to have a baby in a year when they come back. She laughed at him. And then when she was confronted by the very ones that said she's going to have a baby, who were angels from God, who probably was Jesus Christ pre-incarnate, before he came in flesh, he, the angel of the Lord, if it's capital A in your Bible, it's usually an indication that it was Jesus that appeared there to Abraham. And Sarah laughed, and she was asked, why did you laugh? She goes, I didn't laugh. So what did she do to God? She lied to him. Not only did she not believe initially, but she lied. Listen, does God give grace for that as well? Yes, we see it right here because now she's commended for her faith. She's not being shamed in the last, near the last book of the Bible. She's not being shamed for being that woman who was unbelieving, that woman who lied to God, that woman who was living in sin. She's commended for her belief that, listen, he said I'll do, it's going to happen. I'm going to believe him, even though my body it's not, listen, there's no way. Could y'all imagine being that 90 years old, having a baby? Anybody want to do that? I can't imagine at 50, good night, a, a, a newborn. It had to be grace of God. The faithful righteous who, had gone, who have gone before us knew they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. We don't talk like this anymore. Uh, they were looking for a homeland. We're just, we're satisfied being Americans. We're satisfied going on vacation. We're satisfied for nice things that happen around us. We're satisfied for a green lawn. We're satisfied for our, home, our homes. We're satisfied. And today, listen, our people of the past, our righteous brothers and sisters of the past, they were never satisfied. They knew they were strangers here, and they were looking, they were pilgrims. I'm just passing through because I'm looking forward to my home. And their home was not found on any zip code on the planet. Their home was found in heaven. They were looking for the day to be face-to-face -face with God. And finally, last two, the faithful righteous had, and I say had and have, a spiritual desire for their heavenly home. And this last note, I know it's in your Bible. I just copied it straight out of the Bible, put it back in your notes. God is not ashamed to be called by God by the faithful righteous. Doesn't that make you feel good? 
It makes God happy. It makes God joyful to know that you are called by his name. He wants you to call his name, and he in turn calls your name. He's the one that the Bible says he knows how many hairs are on our head. He knows everything about you, and he still loves you. He has prepared a city for them and for us, and that city is heaven, but we're not going to live in heaven forever. Remember, new heaven and a new earth is coming. We eventually will live in that new earth. God will dwell among us, the Bible says. Isn't that a good thing to think about? We'll see Jesus. Jesus has a new body, so we will see Jesus. We'll see him in the very expressed image of God. We'll see him and live with him, and there'll be no need for a son. Don't be, listen, so many things that we need today, there won't be a need for because we'll be in the very presence of God. Living in our new bodies, being known as we're known, the Bible says. Isn't that good news? You'll know me. You'll have to live with me forever. Isn't that good news? If you don't like me, you still have to live with me forever if you're a Christian. We, we, sometimes, you ever know people that you love them but you don't like them? Anybody got any of those people in your family? Their family, you have to love them but you don't like them? Or the friends at church, sometimes it's just they're obnoxious, they get on your nerves. Anybody? Okay. Don't, wait, don't point at me. I saw that. My wife's not here today. She's on, they've already started vacation, so um, they're watching my television, I'm sure. But what I want you to understand is, listen, look at the bottom of your bulletin. Everybody read the, I, put it, I think I put it in red letters, the very bottom of your bulletin. Turn it over and just read it out loud when you're on the count of three. Look at the back of your bulletin. Look on your neighbors if you didn't get one and read it out loud. Ready? One, two, three. Isn't that good to know? And he's not ashamed to be called your God, your Father. Does that make you feel good? If you start looking at the universe, you start seeing the rain, you start thinking of all the different things. We talk, Me and Mike were talking this week. What if we were in charge, me and Mike were in charge of dropping the rain from the sky, for even from one mile? What would happen if we dropped the rain? I'm sure me and Mike, we'd probably get together and say, well, they needed a lot of rain, and we'd just drop a whole bunch. And what would happen if a whole bunch of water fell at one time, not in drops? We would crush all the crops. We'd crush all the houses. We'd destroy everything. Aren't you glad we serve a God who knows exactly how much rain to give and then let it up? Aren't you? We serve an awesome God. Say it one more time. Read your bulletin one more time. Ready? Before you leave out of here, I know this is one-on-one stuff, but you need to know this because a lot of us don't realize this when we go or we don't understand it fully because I don't understand this, what I wrote. I don't fully understand it. Why would he love me? Why would he create me and let me sin against him and then turn back around and die for me? And then save me? Why would he do that? And then give me eternal hope and home? I don't understand it. Let's read it one more time. One, two, three. Isn't that good news? Y'all, all right, just say it one more time. Y'all didn't get it. Look to your neighbor. Go ahead and tell somebody left or right. Go ahead and turn them. Y'all look at each other. One, two, three. That's a good word. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much that you do, so much that you do love us. Father, we don't even understand those three basic words that we sing in children's church and when we were kids and teenagers and as adults. But Lord, the truth is in your word, you promise and commit to us that if we would put our faith and trust in you, you in turn would come and commit yourself to us. Not only just commit yourself to us, you would teach us how to live day by day. You would help us to grow in our word and knowledge of you. And then Lord, you've prepared a place for us in heaven that we have a place to live. And then Lord, you're preparing and have prepared the new heavens and new earth. How exciting is that for us, Lord, to know that's in our future. Like Abraham and Sarah, we have an opportunity to be righteous people set apart. But Father, we can't do it just by coming to church, and we can't do it just because our family's Christian. Lord, we all know that you told Nicodemus, you must be born again. Your mother gave birth to us the first time. Our, our mother gave birth to us the first time. 
Father, the Spirit of God has given birth to us the second time. Lord, we know if we are born twice, we ultimately only die once. But Father, we also know the awful thought of being born once. We will die twice, the second death. Father, I pray for anybody that's listening, whether by computer, screen, whatever it might be, here in this uh, room. And Father, we would be the people of God by calling upon your name and asking you to come in, forgive us of our sins, and trust you as our Lord and Savior. And Lord, then, as we grow and mature, uh, Father, we would go and teach the world. Help us, Lord, because we need your help. Help those that are struggling in their faith. Help those that are struggling in their health. Because, Lord, when we feel bad, Lord, we kind of just want to recluse right into ourselves. Lord, help us um, keep our eyes and focus on you. Praising you daily. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.